0: 1 Timothy chapter one verse eleven. This is um, the apostle Paul writing to his protege Timothy, and he has a very unique way of describing our God. It's only found twice in the whole Bible. But listen to this: According to the glorious gospel of the blessed or happy God, which was committed to my trust. And I don't know if you've ever thought of God being a happy God. Personally, I, that's not the first thing that comes to my mind, but evidently, if we take these words literally, in the original language, this is our happy word, blessed. This is "marcarios," written for a reason to prove to us that our God has a smile on his face in a way. Amen? I don't know if you ever looked at that, but I believe we have a happy God who wants happy believers and it's not the happiness that the world would, would put on our face, but this is real divine happiness. And I'd like to today try to show us some ways, Jesus's ways, to get our little grippers on some happiness so we can turn our frowns upside down. I don't know about you, but I need this. Amen? Amen. So let's pray and ask God to help us. Okay, Father, we are so grateful for your people that you brought here today. Pray that you would bless them, that you'd make them happy because they've been around your people and your word. thank you for your perfect word. I pray they would have a perfect way in us this very day. So be with us, teach us, do what only you can do, Father. And we give this night to you in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. 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 So hi. Hey, anybody here um, grumpy? Is it just me? I got my, my son and my, my wife going yes. Anybody play Oscar the Grouch from time and again? Like you're in your little trash can, rummaging around in the rubbish. You pause only to lift your lid up and throw a little bit of negativity and garbage to someone else so then they can be grumpy? Anybody? Just me, probably, huh? Oscar the Grouch. (laughs) It's funny. I wrote a note to my wife this morning because I was up and out of the house before anybody else. Hey, honey, could you take care of this? You know how I signed it? The grump. (laughs) That's where I've been lately. So this is for me. I love this because I need a little personal work in this area. We all play the grouch from time and again. Don't you agree? If we're honest with ourselves, some more than others, obviously. But we all play the grouch. And what I've noticed is that there are a lot of unhappy people. I see a lot of people every day. It's what I do. I see people, and they just keep coming, and they just keep coming, and they just keep coming. And there are a lot of unhappy people. And from my experience, living in my skin, looking at my mirror, I'm no different. And Christians are no different. It ought not to be that way among Christians. Amen? What we've been given in Christ, and we have all sorts of excuses, don't we, about why we're unhappy, Maybe it's the pressure of business. Maybe it's the pressure of your relationships. Maybe you're raising teenagers. Heck, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe you're watching a county you grew up in turn to pot, literally. <laughs> Does that get anybody? <laughs> Is that just me? I, look, there's lots of reasons, but you know what? They're all excuses. In comparison to what we have in Jesus Christ, and not not to be named among us. Now, Listen. We're going to talk a little bit about happiness. For some of you that are just still in your garbage can, let me define it a little bit for you, okay? This is how I define biblical happiness. It's a lighthearted, well-adapted, fulfilled state that can result in some attitudes, good attitudes, attitudes like being cheerful, delighted, and even, believe it or not, you can actually be elated sometimes, right? That's happiness, It's lightheartedness. It's not taking yourself so seriously. Now, now listen, I I don't want you to get me wrong here because I'm also convinced that happiness isn't a 24-hour a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. There's seasons and time for everything, right? So the Bible teaches, right? It teaches that according to Romans chapter 12, 15. That we're supposed to do what? We're supposed to rejoice with those that rejoice. So it's smile and laugh together. But those who you are weeping, what are we supposed to do with them? We're supposed to weep with them. So it's not all the time, okay? We're not to screw smiles on our face or paste them on there and grit it up and say, praise the Lord, I have cancer. Or praise the Lord, I just got divorced. Right? I'm so happy. My kid isn't following the Lord. That's not what I'm talking about here. It's not what I'm suggesting. That would be a very naive way to teach happiness. What I'm saying is that the overarching attitude that prevails out of a true, authentic Christian should be positive and happy. When they look at your life's work, there's going to be ups and downs, but they should see, you know what? There's something inside that person that's lighting them up. Amen? That's what I'm talking about. Now, listen. Some of us have forgot that. Some of us have forgotten that. And I have days or weeks where I go by and I forget that. That when people look at me, they should see something positive and something happy. Like I could be a happy little elf instead of a mean little dwarf, right? It's, it's a, you could go either way is what I'm saying here. I just lost my 50 bucks. The last time I taught, a lady came up to me and said, I will give you $50 if you don't make fun of how short you are. I <laughs> thought I could do it. <laughs> so I'm here as your jolly little reminder today. I'm just going to remind you guys if you forgot, we can be happy. Now realize, at least for me, happiness can be a slippery little sucker, can it? It's pretty elusive. And part of the reason I feel it's elusive is that we grasp the things that we can see, things we can feel, and the things that we taste, and we cram them in empty, dark hearts, and we expect them to make us happy. Good things, things like careers, those are good. We all should be working. Wish more people worked; it would make everybody's life a lot better. It's a good thing, but don't expect that to end up in happiness. Good things. If I just had this job, or this money, or this car, or this house, or if my kids just did this, this, and this. You see, we grab those things, we stuff them, then we get there, and guess what you're left with? The target just moved. There's a world full of rich, famous people in really cool houses with really cool wives and kids that are unhappy. Just look at Hollywood. Amen? That's not what does it. It's elusive because we're looking at it in the wrong places. We have to realize that... Happiness comes from within, amen? It comes from inside, and it works its way out. It's the only way. It's genuine, you see? Proverbs chapter 15, verse 13 says this. It says, a merry heart makes a cheerful or happy countenance. You see, it starts with the heart, and it makes its way out. Same chapter, Proverbs 15, 15 says this. He who is of a merry or happy heart has a continual feast. It's got to come from within, you see. Two of my, well, some of you know Emily Clyde. Anybody know Emily? She's one of my assistants at work. And one thing that she sarcastically tells me when things get a little stressful in my office, believe it or not, I I can get grumpy at work. I know that's hard to believe when you see 30 people a day, but it happens sometimes. And I walk by her and she looks at me and she goes, Happy heart. That's what she says to me. And then her sidekick Gina says, Turn that frown upside down. Dr. V, we put another patient in for you. I'm like, I really enjoy Emily because she hit it on the head. If your heart isn't happy, it's showing on your face and people don't like it. And you're starting to scare the patients. <laughs> happy heart. It comes from within, happiness does. And according to our scripture today, I want you guys to feel relieved and rejoice and be encouraged. You know why? Because we not only have an internal, but we have an eternal source of divine happiness in the indwelling happy God. Amen. Come on. I was expecting a little bit more from you guys tonight. Come on. Right? We have this source. It's not something you have to muster up. It's something that the indwelling God was described as happy. He's in you as a Christian. Amen? He's indwelling you. he's not only in you, he's eternal. He's got this soul. Whenever you need it, it's there. He's going to power you up and he has the ability to make you happy. And I am convinced that a happy God wants a happy believer. Amen? I'm convinced of that, but listen, at the risk of sounding like George Michael, you gotta have faith. Faith, <laughs> faith. It's huge. You gotta have faith. Do you remember faith? Do you remember Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1? Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of the things you cannot see. Faith, you gotta believe. Wrap your brain around that just for a second. You know those things you're hoping for in Jesus Christ as a Christian? Let me just name a couple. One, that he'll never leave you nor forsake you, amen? Amen. Another, he's made you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, amen? Amen. Another one, if I go, I will come back for you. I'm going to go prepare a place, but I'm coming back, amen? He's not going to leave us down here forever. Those things you're hoping for. Faith is what gives that evidence and proof and substance and a handle that you can grab onto and go, that's all the proof I need. Those things are going to happen. Jesus is coming back. He never leaves me nor forsakes me. Amen? That's what faith can do. And according to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it's impossible to please God without faith. Why? Because he's putting on a wild goose chase? No, he understands so perfectly that that's how you unlock the things that haven't been actualized yet. Someday we're going to have it all. Amen? Man, this great down here, but it's not that great. Someday everything you are in Christ is going to be actualized and experienced. Amen? You need faith currently to unwrap those things and to make them real to you today. Does that make sense? It's faith. You got to have faith. Now listen, I'm going to ask you something today. Do you believe in your own hearts right now? Do you believe that we have a happy God and that he has provided enough to make you a happy believer, even in the midst of your situation today, even in the battles, has he given you enough? Is his arm long enough to flip everything upside down for you? In your heart, think about that. Some of you, it may be the question like, do I even feel like I deserve to be happy? Does that sound familiar? You gotta have faith. It unlocks everything. Faith can be difficult though. And Lord, help us all. We believe, but help our disbelief. Amen? Reminds me of my oldest son, Ryan. Back when he wasn't 17, back when he was a little shaver, about four years old maybe, we called him Little Rye Rye. And he, I, his nickname was maybe, um, we called him Koala Bear for a while because he just latched on you and he wanted to cuddle. And it was just awesome. We we're having one of these moments and we shared a prayer when I was cuddling my four-year-old boy. We're in bed. Ryan, would you like to pray? Sure, Dad, I would like to pray. Why don't you start? So my prayer went like this, very simple. Simple prayer for wisdom. Young dad, I didn't know what I was doing. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> and I was smart enough to know I didn't know what I was doing. So I said something like this, Father, you say if I ask for wisdom, you'll give it to me liberally without reproach. If I ask with faith, unwavingly, you're going to make me wise. So I'm asking, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Pretty simple. Hey, little Ry-Ry. ry rai it's your turn. Would you like to pray? And his prayer went something like this. Simple and to the point. He's about four years old, so this is what he said. Dear God, if you can't make my dad smart, can you make him strong? (laughs) Somehow, (laughs) I don't know if his memory was maybe formed for like six months at that point or a year. I don't know if you do the math. Maybe two years. I had done stupid enough stuff that for him, God's arm was way too short to make me smart, so he was shooting for strength. (laughs) It'd be really funny if it wasn't so honest to what I say today, if it wasn't so close to our reasoning today with our lack of faith. Lord, if you can't make me happy, could you make me, I don't know, content? If, if, if what I've been through, if this is just an... We serve a God of all impossibilities, amen? He's a God that doesn't have a short arm. We, like Ryan, say things like that. If you can't, could you? Mm, I think by faith, if we just say, God, I take your promises by faith. Because ultimately... Faith in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ is the well of our divine happiness. That's it. Do you know that? That's where we get it. It's faith in the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ that affords us our happiness. Jesus teaches us this in John chapter 20. Where you may remember that chapter. It's a great chapter. It's when the Lord rises from the grave and he shows himself to some disciples, right? This is the chapter of Doubting Thomas, right? I call him Grumpy Doubting Thomas because he had to have been grumpy to have this attitude, right? The Lord shows himself to the disciples. Here I am, check it out. Disciples are super stoked. They go to Thomas because he wasn't at that meeting. He must have missed that prayer meeting. And he said, Thomas, the Lord lives. He's alive. He resurrected from the grave, Thomas. And do you remember grumpy, doubting Thomas's response. He said what we say all the time. He basically says, I'll believe it when I see it until I see the nail print in his hands, the holes in his hands. And until I be able to touch with my hand in the hole in his side, I'm not going to believe it. That's what Thomas said. What a grump. He takes himself pretty serious, huh? And he had nowhere near faith But what happens, what I love about our Lord is he makes himself available, doesn't he? A few days later, he shows himself to Thomas and says, Thomas, here I am. Here I am. Would you look? Do you want to put your fingers in there, Thomas? These were pierced for your disbelief. Would you like to put your hand in my side, Thomas? And Thomas is like, I think Thomas melted. He said, Lord, God, it is you. And do you remember what Jesus' response was to him? There in John chapter 20, verse 29. This is words that should echo to you and I if you want to unwrap faith and your divine happiness. He says this, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed or happy are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus is saying this, bottom line, seeing isn't believing. Believing is truly seeing the way God sees. That's how you unwrap it, amen? Gotta have faith. Thomas the Grump. Now listen, I was traveling recently on a plane, and I grabbed this magazine, and it said, happiness is not a destination, it's a way of life. I said, whoa, that's true, I like that. And I started thinking about that as a Christian. You know what? That's a great saying. It's true. It's Jesus's way of life where we get our happiness from. If we look at Jesus and the way he lived his life, we can grasp some of his divine happiness and use it even in our day of trouble. Amen? So that's what I want to do tonight. There's just three simple points. We'll be quick tonight. I'm going to highlight just three Aspects of Jesus Christ's earthly ministry that I think lead to happiness if we just copy him. And I'll say this. He was a suffering, enduring servant. That's our Jesus. Do you know that? That really defines his life. And I want to highlight those three aspects of our Lord's life as our way to grasp some of it. This isn't supposed to be a complete everything about happiness in the Bible. This is taking Jesus Christ's life, putting faith in some of the things he did and what he said about them and seeing if we can grab some happiness. You guys ready? Just three points. Okay, look, I know it's been a while since I've been up here, but I'm really not appreciating the uh, enthusiasm. I, I truly expected more, but to be honest with you, I don't want to offend you, but I have more energy. Okay? Okay are you guys ready? <laughs> I need a little help. I had to work today and I had to work on a Monday. And so I really, <sighs> thank you. <laughs> Service. Let's start with it. We'll go backwards. He was a servant. He served. Okay. And that's going to be his way that he lived in his earthly ministry. Cause remember, you got to start. He was and is and always will be the happy God, right? right? So as he clothed himself in a lowly Nazarene and walked around this earth, we got to see the way he acted. How did he unwrap his happiness? Well, one thing he did is he, he was a servant. He was really the father's servant sent to give life and life abundantly, wasn't he? He was there to serve. And when will we ever learn, Christians, that our happiness is tied to service putting yourself under other people for love's sake. When will we ever just get to the bottom of that and say, if I'm not serving, I'm probably not gonna be happy. I think it is a very simple concept, servitude leading to happiness. This very idea is pictured beautifully in John chapter 13. You may remember John chapter 13. It's the chapter where our Lord and Savior, the eternal Son of God, the creators of the ends of the earth, That guy coming down and having a meal with his disciples. Remember? It was his farewell kind of dinner. And he shared his meal with his disciples. And afterwards, he disrobed and took up a towel and girded himself with it. Right? The insignia of the lowest servant of the times, he stooped down and he washed his disciples' feet now, just imagine that for just a moment. We pass over those things. I washed the disciples' feet. The Lord of Lords, King of Kings, creator of the end of the earth, got down and did something that no one else did. Is anybody else impressed when you study the Lord Jesus Christ, how he wore his crown? Kind of like a blue collar, a little bit. He wasn't afraid to get dirty, he wasn't afraid to do such things to teach lessons. It was an excellent way. Of serving, He got down there, he, he, he washed, and after he did, he said some wonderful words. In John chapter 13, verse 17, he says this. It's one thing if you know these things to serve, to put yourself below another for love's sake. It's one thing to know those things, but happy or blessed are those who do them. Here's what I think about service in the church. Everybody here knows we're supposed to be serving, not because of duty, but because it's a way of happiness. Jesus showed us in John chapter 13, what a beautiful picture. I'm going to do the most menial service to teach you guys that you put yourself under and serve and it'll make you happy. That's what he's saying. Some of the last words he spoke to people was do this. Do it. Don't think about it because I know all you guys know it. Go do it, is what Jesus is saying. You see, when will we really get to the bottom of that? I think it's the way of true happiness, service. I also believe it is the way to fulfill our humanity. Even secular people understand the value of service. There's service clubs galore. Why? Because it makes them feel good and happy because they're helping people. Tension off self, onto others. There's a great power in that. And we ought not to underestimate it. When will we remember Jesus' words along these lines? Right? It's better to give than to receive. I came to what? Serve, not to be served. You're talking about Jesus. And we can't even say those things on a regular basis. Amen? Yeah. Oh, Lord, help us all. Right? Failure to recognize this. Is why there's so many unhappy relationships. It's why so many marriages fail. It is. It's better to give than to receive. I'm here to serve, not to be served. Those simple concepts of putting yourself under somebody for love's sake, because you love them, it produces a special happiness. It's still 50 50. Look around. In the church and outside the church with divorce, broken, I think we could save ourselves a lot of heartache. And I'm not judging you here, trust me. I'm just saying, I wonder if you've got another chance or you're still hanging on if you would just think about, it's better to give than to receive. And there is a couple in my office that epitomizes this. I'll just call them Mr. and Mrs. Smiley because that's what they are. They're a smile. That's what they are. They're awesome. Well, Mrs. Smiley has went on to be with the Lord. They're in their 90s, by the way, but Mr. Smiley is still around. But I remember when they first started coming in about 20 years ago when I started practicing. Man, it was sickening. They've been married over 60 years, and they were just doting over each other. They were so cute, and they're just awesome people. They're people that, <laughs> they're people that handshakes don't work. I mean, they just engulf you in a, in a hug, Right? And you end up smelling like Old Spice and roses. That's what you end up smelling like the whole rest of the day, right? It's like, whoa. You know that generation? was awesome. Well, when they first started seeing me, I was like, I got to get to the bottom of this. This is ridiculous. No one acts like this. And so I got Mr. Smiley alone. I said, listen, what's the deal? How do you you guys do it? Because I'm a young, I don't know, I'm not that good at it. How, How does it work? And he said, Oh. It's easy. It's simple. She treats me like a king. I get whatever I want. She does everything for me. She gives me... She's, it's easy. It's not even work. I'm like, what in the world? So I thought, I'm thought i going to talk to this lady and see how she's feeling about this. Mrs. Smiley, what's your secret? How does it work? And you know how she answered me? Oh, it's easy. He treats me like a queen. I get whatever I want. And it's awesome. I'm like, What? They were trying to outgive each other. They got the fact that Mr. Smiley got married to Mrs. Smiley not to get a wife, but to give a husband. And Mrs. Smiley got the fact that he married Mr. Smiley not to get a husband or a wife, but to give one. Does that make sense? They married to give each other away. That's beautiful. I couldn't believe that when I heard that. That's in a stark contrast To the way I live my life a lot of times. We ought to remember them. They're great. Jesus' way of serving is calling you and I. It just is. Serve. Put yourself under someone else for love's sake. And watch what he does with your life. It's pretty simple. Start serving. I'm not talking about even in here. Here's a suggestion. Why don't you start at home? That's what I'm going to do. Because I have been grumpy lately. I'm going to start with my circle. And I'm going to work my way out. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start fresh. Tonight, tomorrow. I'm just going to try to serve those around me. And I'm going to see what happens to my frown. See, if it gets turned upside down, right? That's where we should start. Amen? Second thing he did is he suffered. Jesus' way was a suffering way. Wouldn't you think? And this is a really interesting concept, if you really think about it. That suffering... The distress that our tribulation could somehow expose, reveal, and we could experience divine happiness out of that. That's an interesting concept, isn't it? It's kind of backwards from what the world would tell you, don't you think? And I'm not talking about suffering because of sin. Let me just clear that up right now, okay? That's just being an idiot, all right? I'm not talking about suffering from the consequences of you sinning. That has its own reward. That's, an own, that's reaping what you're sowing. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about suffering for righteousness sake. Right? For Christ. For doing the right thing in Jesus Christ, suffering. Now, Jesus definitely lived this way. It played out perfectly there that day he went to the cross. Amen? He went to that cross and he bore the, the father's wrath, his fury, everything, all of that. He, he bore all that for us. And he suffered. Did he not? He suffered by our side in his humanity, you see. He was a suffering servant. And you know what I've noticed um, um, about myself and about Christians in general? Is that we all want the power that Jesus affords us. We all want the victory, right? Right? We all want that. We all want the happiness. We all want the, the good things. None of us want to suffer for his sake. That's what I notice about me. We all, we're spoiled. It's Americana. We all want the good, but when we start getting in the pinch, it's like, Lord. I think we ought to might, we, we probably should start thinking about things a little differently. Philippians chapter 1 verse 29 might start turning you away from that. It says, "For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to what? suffer for his sake." It's a special happiness that comes over people when they suffer for righteousness. We must suffer with him. And I want to tell you, it's okay. Sometimes we just haven't been pressed enough, maybe experienced enough. When you get a little older, you look back and say, Yeah, you're right. It's okay because there's great consolation. All that suffering is nothing in comparison to what we will be down the road and what he's trying to build in us, right? I think that's Romans chapter 8, verse 18. It's exactly what it says. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and by us in the future. It's a consolation prize, right? When you add them up, it doesn't add up. It's not that big of a deal. If you weigh your sufferings compared to what's going to happen to us as Christians, we have that hope that there's no comparison. It's a dadism for me. It's what my dad used to say when I started getting into, interested in the ministry. He said, Dan, you know what? It's going to cost you something to serve the Lord. Do you know that? And It has. It's going to cost you something. But I love the second part of his saying, it's going to cost you more if you don't. And that's the idea. You start weighing it out. If you're suffering for Christ's sake, it's worth it. The balances aren't even close. Amen? Because it's working in us something greater. We know this as Christians, right? Something greater, something eternal, something divine, like happiness in the midst of suffering. Amen? I think that's what 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 17 says. It says this, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Things like divine happiness, right? Yeah. Suffering can do that. Now, listen. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 14 just tells you that if you suffer, you'll have a special happiness. He promises it. Listen, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are happy. You're blessed. Marcarios, you're happy. You can go just the chapter over. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 14. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed or happy are you. Listen to this part. For the spirit of glory and of God rests. Upon you. When you suffer, here's what I think happens. When you truly suffer for Jesus Christ, when you share in his sufferings, like Philippians chapter 1, verse 29 says, I think the spirit that indwells us is very much comfortable. He is at, you guys are on the same wavelength. You have reconciled and harmonized, and there's something special about that. You read accounts of martyrs, and they'll say the same thing. They are just humming ride along with the Holy Spirit because something special is upon them because they're suffering for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? I cannot think about First Peter in those verses and suffering and leading to happiness without remembering my older brother. And I remember the first week of wrestling practice I ever had when I was seven years old. I got beat up. Did you know that? I got beat up. And I'm not talking about I was doing good in the wrestling. I I was doing, I was holding my own. I was just a beginner, but I was a natural. But I got beat up my first week in practice. This older kid didn't like how I was doing so good as a beginner. And he came over, pushing me around, a couple of punches. Next thing I know, I'm just all overwhelmed on the ground. But you know what happened? I've told this story before, but my brother, who was about six years older, one of the older kids, he couldn't wrestle worth of beans. But evidently, I found out he could fight. Because he came running over there. It absolutely blew up this kid, and he beat the living snot out of him. It was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember the first thing I thought of was, wow, he usually beats me up. Evidently, he had a rule that he could beat me up, but no one else could, I guess. I think that was his philosophy. But what happened was coach grabbed him. And back in those days, he did stuff to him that he'd probably get thrown in jail for now, right? You can't discipline kids like you used to, you know, back in the early mid-70s. And he took that, my brother, and threw him against the wall. Fightings against the rules, and I don't care why. and And at the whole time, I'm just like, he didn't do anything wrong. He was protecting me and just the injustice of it all, right? And that guy was hard on my brother, that coach. And it broke my heart. I saw my older brother just getting punished, so I was like this little puppy dog. He was like my martyr, right? I mean he's in trouble because of me. I walk over there, and as he's at the end of this disciplinary session, and it was brutal. It's making him do these push-up things. And I remember looking up at my brother, I'm sorry, so sorry. And he looks at me, and I'll never forget the look on his face. It was just this smile, and it was a special happiness. He did the right thing. One of his jobs as an older brother was, is to protect, you know, hey, I'm one of five. So at a certain point, you're getting raised by different siblings. And one of his job was to keep an eye on the, the younger kids. He felt just fine about that. He took it all. He looked at me and said, i do it again. And he just, that, guy, that coach couldn't break my brother. He was so happy. I think that's the word picture I think of when suffering for happiness. When you're doing the right thing, There's a special happiness that comes over you when you do the right thing. Amen? Amen. Listen, Jesus' way of suffering is really calling us today to our way of happiness. Will we be bold for Christ? Now, we're in America, so there's not a lot of opportunities to go get skinned by some Muslims or Hindus, right? This is America. But there are some subtle things you can do. There are. There's things that I can do when I present a medical case, and I always stick them in there. When I'm bold, I say things like, it's a wonderful design. It's amazing what God did with your eyes. This is why you're having trouble. I love that. And some people, most people go, yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm a Christian too. You know what a lot of people say? Are you serious? That's going to cost me sooner or later, and I think it has sometimes. (laughs) It's like, one guy called me a quack because I believe in creation, even though I'm a doctor. It's that kind of boldness. That's something little. (laughs) You can be bold as a teacher. I know there's rules. But there's some things you can do to impart and maybe suffer a little bit for Christ's sake. Amen. Look for them. Okay. If you're in the molly grubs and you want to be pulled out of those by God Almighty. And you want to experience divine happiness. You might want to think about whether you're doing anything worthy. Suffering. I'm going to go look for trouble. Are you taking a stand for Christ every once? Don't be an idiot, but stand up when you can for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? We had dinner with some people the other night, and they weren't saved. And I'll tell you what. I had a couple opportunities to talk about Jesus. But you know, instead, what I talked about is like Joe's place. I was like skirting the issue, you know. Joe's place is really cool, and Edgewater's pretty Really? That's the kind of stuff. We are who we are. We've been bought by Jesus Christ. We ought not be ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why do we cower so much? Think about that as a way to be happy. Our last point here is that Jesus Christ endured. He endured. He was the suffering servant, but he was also an enduring servant. Do you remember Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2? It says, what? What does it say? Hebrews chapter 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He endured the cross. He held up under it, in other words. That was his way. You might want to consider Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It's a great verse. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness. But was in all points tempted as we were, yet without sin. You see, Jesus Christ endured. He held on. He didn't give in to temptation. He endured. And I wonder how much we are enduring. You see, Jesus, when he came down here, one of the beautiful things about that high priest and how you know he can sympathize with you is he knows the process of sin, yet without it. He knew temptation, right? He was tempted. And he knew that if that, he entertains that temptation, that it brings forward lust, according to James, that can give birth to sin. He understood that process because he shared our humanity. He actually was tempted, yet without sin. In a day and age where it's so hard to delay gratification, where it tells you day in and day out, just go for it. It's all at your fingertips. Just go. Don't delay your gratification It's nice to see a verse that says, yes, it's hard. It's hard for all of us to endure temptation. But according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, there's no temptation that has overcome us. They're all common to men. God is faithful. He will allow you to be, he won't allow you to be tempted above what you are able. But the temptation with this temptation, he'll allow a way out, a way to escape. Do you know he always gives you an escape clause? that's a good promise. He does that for us. There's something special. There's a special happiness when we delay our gratification. Do you know that? Athletes know it. Dieters know it. Everybody knows it. There's a special happiness that you get and that's real and genuine that comes from the inside when you hold off for something better down the road and you don't buy in to your lust. You don't give in you endure through the power of god's spirit there's something special about it i can't explain it there's something neat about it when you it's one of the things i really like about one of the things about wrestling it has a weight class right boxing same way you see the ufc guys they're all making weight it's a real deal you got to make weight and it's you have to you can ask little gaby. you have to hold your weight back I really want that. I want that. It gets to the point where I just want water. Nope, can't have that either for another day. Just hang in there. And they get to weigh in, and then everything changes. Everything. Even before they drink an ounce, they're like, ah! It's a special release of happiness when you hold back. I remember the show I used to watch, and it was like kids do the funniest things or something like this, right, where the kids were the actors, but just it was totally impromptu, right? Right? Then there was this one skit they did. It was a mean experiment. They took all these kids, and they put them in rooms all by themselves, and they had a little proctor. He came in and said, he had two things, one a test, and the other one a big old fat piece of chocolate cake. And he would go in the room and say, hey, Johnny, how you doing today? Puts the cake right next to him and says, here's a test. There's 10 questions. When you're done with this test, I'm going to sit here. We're going to go over it. And after we go over it, right, and we, I'm satisfied with your answers and discussion, then I may or may not give you this permission to eat this cake. So what happens about halfway through the test, the guy acts like he gets a call and he leaves, but he leaves the cake. So it's a dirty trick, right? So he leaves this cake and they leave him for about a half hour. It's a long time. Tests are done about five minutes. They're just, and then they put cameras on them, of course, it's super entertaining to see what kids did, right? You're not supposed to eat that until I come back. And some of them would, you know, five minutes goes by, they're pretty good. Ten minutes goes by, they're pretty good. Then they start touching it, smelling it. yeah. And all but one kid just said, you know what? The guy's not coming back. I'm eating this. And they just go for it, right? But there's one little dude that didn't, didn't he didn't, he held out. He endured. And I'll never forget when they interviewed him. It was this little African-American little kid. He was the cutest little kid in the world. They told him what happened, and he went... I knew it. I knew it. And he just was so elated. He was like, he was so happy. And then they gave him two pieces of the cake, right? <laughs> the other guys, not so much. They were shamed. Do you know that? They were shamed. They knew. They knew what was right, yet they didn't do it. That's a tough one. The chocolate cake. Hey, James chapter 1, verse 12 says this. It's awesome. It says, blessed or happy is the man who endures temptation. You want to be happy? Maybe withhold your gratif- gratification. And I know that's not popular now. I get that. I know it's hard. I struggle as well. But if you want to be happy, I wonder if we're giving in too soon. And I wonder if part of it's just shame. I wonder if we want to be happy. Maybe we should just leave the chocolate cake. Amen? Listen, as we talked a little bit about happiness today, I I, I want you to remember that quote. Happiness is not a destination. It's a way of life. It's Jesus's way of life, faith in that way of life that affords us our happiness. Remember, he was a suffering, enduring servant. I wonder if we could give this a little experiment and see if it works. I'm going to try it. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to try to see if I can genuinely serve without blowing my lid. <laughs> I'm going to see if I can genuinely find some ways to be bold in Christ, not, not, not a self-righteous person, but to genuinely put myself out there for Christ's sake and suffer for him. There's plenty of opportunities, I believe. And I'm going to try, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to resist temptations, find my way of escape, and find my divine happiness. Amen? amen. All right. Father, thank you for these people. Thank you for your word. We're so grateful for the way of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that we would follow him this very day, that we would, uh, as songs are being played, that our hearts would be open and that your spirit would make applications on some of these areas that we need improvement on. So be with us. Thank you. In the match in the name of Jesus. Amen.